what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers and before we get into today's show you guys probably heard it at the end of last week's but i'm going to put it up front this week i'm doing the first ever live show uh before and after show with past guest and fan favorite Corey tyndall on october 21st 2015 many of you recognize that date as the date from back to the future 2 and that's because what we're doing is we're doing the Cinertain drive-in, uh, the Time Is Now event. And that's going to be at Samlin Ballpark in Bakersfield, California. I believe it starts at 7 p.m. Uh, we'll be out there uh, interviewing people. The citizens of Hill Valley are going to be there. Doc Brown is going to be there. The Cinertain crew is going to be there. Um, hopefully you'll be there too. Uh, for more information, go to Cinertain.com. I believe it's like $15. Uh, starting, and then there are other packages you can get, including some that let you handle props that were in the movie. Um, so go to centertain.com and find out all the details from that, and we hope to see you there. All right, if you've never listened to the show before, uh, we welcome you, and we hope to see you at the live show. But the way this works is each week I take a set of films that I've never seen before, and I bring on a guest usually, and we talk about our expectations for those set of films, and then... The following week, we come back with an episode after we have seen those, hence the name of the show, Before and After. Um, so this week, I'm joined by past guest, and I'm sure future guest, Michael Moray. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you, man? I'm good. And uh, I think we're pretty excited to talk about this set of films this week. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into that, have you been watching anything lately? Yeah, I have. Uh, I went and saw Sicario earlier this week. Oh, how was that? It's good. Okay. Yeah, I feel a little bit conflicted about it, actually. I don't okay. know how much of the premise you know about. Isn't it drug stuff? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Basically, it's The Drug War is Stupid, the movie. Okay. A.K.A. Tension, the movie. Okay. <laughs> um, it was really good. I feel like the script actually kind of let it down in some ways. Okay. Everything around it was really good, though. The sound, the editing, the acting, the way it was shot. He's beautifully uh, shot in terms of the cinematography. Yeah, Dennis Villanueva, I yes. believe, he's, he's got really good shot composition. Yeah. Um, I think that he's kind of criticized for some surrounding himself with not good writers at, in, in comparison to his skill as a director. Have you seen Prisoners? No, I haven't heard good things about it, but... I wasn't super impressed by okay. it at all, all right. with the exception of his camera stuff. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I didn't think it was very well written. Yeah. I and feel I like... thought it was boring. Really? Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> I feel like the script let this down. It's okay. still good. Okay. Um, it just could have been a lot better. Yeah. And um, it's kind of your typical, the drug war is bad, okay? Like, everybody's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the Americans are wrong for doing certain things, and then things are messed up in Mexico, and everybody's corrupt. Um, and you go and look at the basics of the story, it's not... Um, it's not. It's very simplistic. Okay. But it was the way it was executed. It elevated it. And it actually made it into like a good movie. That's a lot of the praise that Dennis Villanueva gets. Actually, yeah. is taking like premises that would just be kind of like Saturday afternoon TNT fare and yeah. elevating them. Right. With the performances he's able to get out of his actors, mm -hmm. as well as the um, the technical prowess he has. Right. And I feel like this movie was just so good at just nailing the sense of tension, like escalating tension and okay. dread throughout it, that even though the story was very stock, it just, the entire time, the way it was edited, the way it was shot, which I'll get into in a second, was just so, uh, it was just so like tension based. Mm -hmm. Even though I was in a theater with like six other people, it felt like that whole room was just like captive by what was going on. Huh. In it. And I was really impressed by that. Um, and the way that uh, Roger Deakins, who is a cinematographer on this, oh. shot it, yeah, you you That's have a cheating almost. Yeah, exactly. But the way he like had he chose his shots was just so smart because he's taking basically where 
brown, dirty environments, but he gave it like a sense of beauty too at the mm. same time. But then also the story mostly centers around Emily Blunt. Okay. And the way he went and shot around her, it felt like everything was kind of from her perspective. Oh, that's cool. Even though we were watching her sometimes, so it's not her perspective. It's like how she's viewing events. Like she's sitting in the back of a car ride going through like Mexico, Tijuana. Uh-huh. And she, cause she's in the back seat, she can only see the back of people's heads right. in, in the car and she's not trusting them. And all you see, you never get like a frontal shot from like the windshield looking at the people. You're always just getting the backseat shots of people's faces. Oh, cool. And so their faces are kind of covered in like, you don't know what their intentions are. And it just a communi- effectively communicated her kind of unease with what's going on. She's trying to figure out different sides and all that. And I felt like the cinematography went a long way toward also communicating her sense of dread and tension. Okay, I might have to give that a shot then. I didn't have any interest in it yeah. after um, Prisoners. I yeah. I did not like that movie. Yeah. And I haven't seen Enemy, which was the movie he made that came out the same year with Jake Gyllenhaal, but that looked terrible to me to begin with, and I kind of read the synopsis of it, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be into this movie at all. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of written Sicario off, but I might go check it out. Um, it does that thing that was my favorite thing Mad Max did where it's all from his perspective, which is why my, my argument for why Tom Hardy's not on screen that much Uh is because the audience is Mad Max. That's true. I can see that actually. Um, And so I think a lot of the events in Mad Max are from Tom Hardy's character's perspective, Mad, Mm -hmm. Mad Max's perspective. And that's why he's not on screen that much. I don't know how much screen time necessarily in front of the camera that Emily Blunt has. Yeah. But it seems like they kind of did the same thing. Yeah. And I, I that worked super well for me in Mad Max. Yeah. So I, it sounds like I'll be into it. Yeah. It's a very interesting choice that they took with her because I was expecting her, them to go kind of down the route of, oh, she's kind of an outsider and then she kind of gets corrupted or she mm-hmm. becomes like a badass who eventually kind of takes charge, something like that. They do an interesting thing with the main character in the movie. I don't know how much you want me to spoil it. Um, where she actually kind of becomes inert as a character. Oh, and, weird. And in some ways, she's almost kind of useless to the main struggle in the end. It's very strange how that happened. That's exactly how Mad Max kind of goes yeah, down. Yeah, it's almost like this whole conflict could have happened without this person. And even though you had that perspective of her throughout the film, in the last like 15 minutes, it almost becomes somebody else's movie. And it's very interesting. I don't know if I like that or not. It's kind of jarring almost, but I feel like it was meant to be to go and show how powerless she was uh-huh. through editing. So there's some interesting aspects to it. I'm not going to go and overhype it because right. I don't want you to go and feel like it was amazing. Right. But... I haven't really read any reviews on okay. it, so I don't... Like, it was just so... I just had such little interest in it that I hadn't even bothered with really? reviews or anything. So yeah. I hadn't heard anything about it. I mean, Mad Max is a pretty inert character in that, too. Yeah. But once again, my argument for people who hate that is he never asked to be in that situation anyway. Like, he's just a victim of circumstance throughout that entire movie. That's a good point. And so that's... I think that's why that kind of works for me and I'm, I'm more okay with it mm-hmm. um it sounds like they did a the, a similar thing even yeah. though i assume they didn't just straight up rip off the movie no it, uh, but benicio del toro kind of plays almost a furiosa-esque role in terms of he's kind of the main star in oh, some ways okay. yeah how is he in this movie good really yeah actually that's surprising really good. yeah <laughs> That's good to know. How's Emily Blunt? I like her a lot. She's good. Okay. She's really solid. Yeah. I think she's a good actress. I think she's a super good actress. Yeah. Um, Edge of Tomorrow kind of won me over yes. into Emily Blunt land. Yeah. And I was actually expecting kind of um, a characterization similar to that character uh-huh. almost, but they went in a different direction and she showed a different side of herself that I liked. Okay. Yeah. I haven't watched much this week, mainly because I'm in the process of moving and don't have a television <laughs> currently. Yeah, that might go and stop you. Yeah. Um, so I caught, uh, I've been watching Show Me a Hero, which I talked about on the last episode of the show mm-hmm. uh, with Oscar Isaac and Jim Belushi for some reason. <laughs> and I guess I, I've been watching it in the morning while I'm eating breakfast before I go to work. So apparently I'm half asleep. Alfred Molina's in this thing. What? I he just out of nowhere he plays like a super racist uh, city councilman, mm. and I did not know that. <laughs> and they they did like a previously on Show Me a Hero, and he's in the first episode a lot, and it didn't even register with me that Alfred Molina's in this thing until the second episode. Huh. So, oops. 
Okay. Yep. Alfred Molina seems to go and choose random roles. He does. He just pops up and you're like, what's Alfred Molina doing here? I mean, whatever, but what's Alfred Molina doing here? <laughs> but that's kind of it as far as what I've been watching. So yeah, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back to kind of get into the meat of the episode, which I think there's a lot to get into. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back. Cool. Um, so this week we are taking on, if you listen to the last set of episodes, we took on Ridley Scott, who is, love him or hate him, one of the biggest names in filmmaking. This week we're going even bigger, and we're taking on, uh, I would argue, the king of cinema himself, uh, Steven Spielberg. So we're going to be watching two Steven Spielberg movies. Uh, one is his newest film, Bridge of Spies, tar- starring Tom Hanks. The other is his very first film that made it into theaters called The Sugarland Express, starring Goldie Hawn and produced for uh, Zanuck and Brown, or produced by Zanuck and Brown, whose names should be familiar from the opening titles of Jaws. Um, but before we get into that, I feel like we would be doing a disservice to Spielberg if we didn't talk about the man himself. He's obviously got a long, storied career yeah. with, I would argue, far more hits than misses. I would agree with that. So do you think he's the greatest living director? Yes, actually. Yeah, I agree. I would think, I would argue that the best quality he has as a director is his sincerity. 100%. Uh, I don't feel like his movies ever feel like he's saying a message opposite of what he himself is thinking. Mm-hmm. Or, or has thought. Did you read Film Crit Hulk's uh, article about him? I feel like I must have at one point, but... It just oh, came yes, out last that's month. Right. The yeah. Munich yes, one. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually why I was thinking maybe we should watch Munich. Yeah. Um, but it made me very interested in seeing that movie, which is one of the Seagull movies I haven't seen. But It's really good. He, uh, I don't feel like his movies, even when they're cynical, they're coming from his cynicism. Yeah, he's uh, exhausted with right. something. Yeah. Um, which is sometimes frustrating, because, for example, I feel like The Lost World was a movie where he was very frustrated and not happy. Same mm-hmm. thing with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Both of those movies felt very cynical, but I felt like they were coming from himself. Yeah. One is because there was some massive studio production thing like that. Everything about himself shines through in his movies. Yeah, I think there's... I think especially in the, the medium of cinema, yeah. there's not a single director that's clearer with his intentions and who is able to get his vision on the screen 100 Mm percent no matter what every time sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad um but it's him but it's him and i think he's the he's the most consistent director out there in terms of that and i think just for that simple fact alone He's better than everyone else. Right. Um, you know, I, he's a guy that he loves filmmaking and you can tell it in almost every frame of almost every one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he loves filmmaking. He loves movies. He loves sharing these sort of dreams with people. Right. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's a very earnest guy, which is one of his biggest criticisms. And mm-hmm. I don't understand that yeah. at all. Is that that corny schmaltzy criticism that gets applied? Yeah. Every now and then? Yeah. I don't, I don't get that at all. Yeah. I think that that's very misplaced cynicism, mostly, um, from like this millennial criticism kind of generation yeah. toward him when really he's making a heartfelt movies. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Spielberg movie? Exactly. I don't know. It's hard to go and narrow it down. He's done so many different things. Yeah. In some ways, maybe Jurassic Park. Okay. Uh, maybe E.T., although I haven't seen E.T. in a long time, actually. Okay. Um, I have to go and look through his IMDb again. While you're doing that, um, one thing I want to talk about is I think the guy, he just... I can't picture him doing anything else. Like, it's it's impossible to picture him living in, like, the 1800s when movies weren't a thing. Yeah. Like, it's it's almost like he was born to be a director. Yeah, he was, like, the right place, the right time. The right yeah. era, for sure, mm-hmm. to go and grow up and become, like, this blockbuster director, the pioneer of blockbuster directing. Yeah. And then, like, the late 70s, early 80s. 
that was his moment to go and really go and be a storyteller, a visual storyteller, because that hadn't been really achievable up until that moment. Right. Getting back to your question, though, I would say that Schindler's List is probably my favorite. I have not seen Schindler's List. Yeah, it's pretty good yeah uh, yes um i've tried watching schindler's list yeah and what happened is it started and i was like oh yeah this is schindler's list yeah i'm not in the mood for schindler's list yeah you have to be in the right preparation in mind for that one yeah uh but liam neeson just kills it he's really? such a good actor yeah and i feel like it's kind of a shame that i like him in his action roles currently but that's been kind of lost as time has gone on how good of an actor he is yeah have you ever seen the non-musical les miserables Oh, with him in it? Yeah. I saw, like, the first 30 or so minutes of it. He's super good in that movie. Yeah. 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 He was really good in that. I want to see the rest of it, actually, because Les Mis is one of my favorite um, stories in general. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, okay, so do you have a uh, least favorite Spielberg movie? It has to be um, either The Lost World or Crystal Skull. Yeah. Uh, it's... Both of those are just bad movies. Um, I I haven't seen The Lost World in a long time. Yeah. So right now it's Crystal Skull for sure. I went and saw The Lost World about like two months ago, back when they're kind of promoting all the Jurassic Park movies yeah. all over again. That movie just felt like Spielberg's heart was not in it at all. Huh. Like he just did not like making that film, and it's very cynical, it's mean spirited. Really? Yeah. Like because there are some characters in there who are nice guys, and they get just gruesome, brutal deaths. And it's like, what the heck? Like, why? It's, yeah. You go, when you go make like a story, there's kind of like a moral karma or, you know, you, you are as the creator of that story, like the God of it. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of like a morality that you're enforcing upon that world by being that creator. And when you make like good people go and suffer horrible, brutal deaths and something, it's kind of weird. It's off-putting yeah. almost. Yeah, um, that was a big problem I had with Jurassic World. Is yes. That the babysitter lady, basically, yeah. she just gets, like, wrecked yeah. for no reason. Right. She's done nothing wrong. Right. Like, she's totally innocent. She's just trying to do her job. And, like, it either feels like we're just going to be super mean to this woman mm-hmm. or, oh, we forgot we wrote this character. Yeah. Let's kill her off. Right. Like, that's like a fate that Vincent D'Onofrio's character almost deserved. And yes. Then going to apply to this babysitter who was barely in the movie just felt so off. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if in that movie, if they're just playing it as a joke or if it was supposed to be some sort of karma because she ignored the kids for five seconds. Yeah. But it just felt off and yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Lost World in such a long time that, you know, I was, I was probably in high school the last time I saw it and it has nostalgia because I saw it when I was a kid Yeah, and I really liked all the San Diego stuff when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I have a suspicion it's bad, but um, it's actually really jarring now. Yeah. That third act comes out of nowhere. Yeah. But I remember when I was a kid, I loved Godzilla and I loved Jurassic Park. And then it was basically a Jurassic Park movie that turned into a Godzilla movie. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, it hit me at the right age, which yeah. was like nine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and actually bringing up that Godzilla aspect of it, they go and directly reference Godzilla. There's like some Japanese tourists who are walking through San Diego during that scene. Uh-huh. And then they go and see the T-Rex walking around. And they go and see something like, ah, or you know, the Godzilla. And I was like, oh, uh, no. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's gross. Yeah, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. Um, my favorite Spielberg movie, um, I mean, I think it's got to be, gosh, he's got so many. It's. I think it's got to be Jaws. I love Jaws a lot. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with that choice. Yeah, I don't. There's hardly a wrong answer, yeah. really. Like, I, but I also I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, like, that's a perfect movie, man. Okay, I might go and amend my answer to Raiders. <laughs> that and movie then, is so good. Yeah. My favorite Indiana Jones movie is Last Crusade, but the best one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's fair. You know, I just I. I think that's the one I saw the most as a kid. Yeah. And so Last Crusade is my favorite. It's a great movie. But... Yo, yeah. It's, it's a really fun movie. Yeah. I just can't think of like a movie that's just like a better romp than they go and spend with Harrison Ford and Sean Connery just yeah. being like buddy cops, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Exactly. But Raiders is so good. Yeah. Gosh, that movie's amazing. Yeah, it's just it's perfectly paced. It has some of the best action scenes. It probably still has the best chase scene in oh, history. Oh, yeah. It's the best adventure movie. Yeah, it made. definitely is. And that, like, last 30 or 40 minutes of it is just, like, sublime. Uh, and then 
weirdly, going back to the Sicario discussion, the main character kind of doesn't do anything in the end. Like, yeah. the same result would have happened whether or not he'd actually been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I, okay, so now that we're talking Indiana Jones, yeah. do you like Temple of Doom? I think it's a much better movie than Crystal Skull, for example. Right. I think it's extremely um, abrasive. Okay, like, that's fair. Everyone is yelling all the time. Like, it's almost a prototype Michael Bay movie. Okay. <laughs> where it's like at 110% all the time. And it doesn't feel like it ever really lets up once it gets to the temple. And maybe that's the point. Yeah. And that's, I think, part of the reason why the PG-13 was implemented. Yes. Is because of this movie. But yeah. Because how, at that time, that was so intense and over the top constantly. Yeah. That I think um, it, it was just too dark and cynical. And because I think Spielberg was going through his own issues and Lucas was getting divorced I think at that time when, oh, okay. when he was making the script or the story for it yes I think you're right and I think that goes and bleeds through you can see that like I feel like Spielberg and Lucas to a certain degree although I think he's more introverted you can see in their works like how the rest of the world is affecting them and that bleeds through on the, the on the screen kind of the last question talking in general about Spielberg's career do you have an underrated Spielberg movie? One that you think is either underappreciated or people may not just understand? I think uh, I might even underappreciate it myself, which is AI. Which, okay, I've never yeah, seen that either. Like, I feel kind of 50-50 on that. When I first saw it when I was younger, I felt like I did not like that movie at all. It was dark. It was kind of um, boring in places. Mm-hmm. But... I feel like maybe if I went and revisited it, I might go and think of it more highly because I think that it it has like a certain warmth about it in, in the terms of it's about like a robot boy who's kind of like searching for his mom. Mm-hmm. And I think that might go and actually touch me more now um, that I'm in an older quote unquote age than right. I was when I was younger. And it was an unfinished Kubrick movie. Yes. So like Kubrick movies are totally lost on anyone under the age of 15. That's true. Yeah, you're absolutely correct about that. Uh-huh. So I think that might have something to do with it. I've, I've always been interested in that one just because Kubrick hand-selected, my understanding is that he hand-selected Spielberg to finish the movie. Yeah. He kind of knew that he was he was dying, mm-hmm. basically, and, and he was like, okay, you're... Where Kubrick's family are the ones who were like, you'd be the perfect person for this. Which is weird because I don't find Stanley Kubrick movies to be, one, interesting, or two, <laughs> sincere at all. Yeah, at all. And so... So it was just super, super weird that they were like, oh, you should do this. You're the one who would know his sensibilities the most. And it's like, you can't pick anyone more opposite of yeah, Kubrick. Yeah, Kubrick's movies are very cold. Yeah. I don't want to say cerebral because I don't think you need a lot of thought to them. Yeah. They, just, they just feel like they're coming from a weird place. Spielberg is coming right from his heart. Yeah. They're warm. Yeah. I think I have two underrated Spielberg movies. Um, one is The Terminal. Okay, I haven't seen that, actually. I love that movie. It's just two hours of Tom Hanks being adorable and Stanley Tucci being slimy. How can you go <laughs> wrong? Um, there's, It's a very simple movie, but it's a very heartfelt movie. Um, you know, Tom Hanks. It's just adorable. Yeah. And I think Tintin is super underseen. Yeah, I feel like that movie came out of nowhere. And, like, I don't think they did a good enough job advertising that it was a Spielberg movie. Mm -hmm. I think people were like, what is this? Yeah. When it kind of came out, like, it looks kind of Polar Express-y. So I think they probably thought it was more of a Zemeckis-type thing. And, like, those movies people were really cool on by the time it came around. Yeah. It's great. Like, that movie is so good. There's so many... There are so many things in that movie that are just... Spielberg to the core that it's hard to imagine Zemeckis doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it feels like that's what Zemeckis was trying to do, but yeah. he's not as good as Spielberg, so he <laughs> couldn't do it. And Peter Jackson also played a role in that movie as well. I, yeah, you know what the he was a producer, was so I think Wingnut produced it. And the idea is that Spielberg was going to direct the first one, mm-hmm. Jackson was going to direct the second one, yeah, and then they were going to collaborate on the third one. Okay. Um, which would be bonkers, I feel like. <laughs> but yeah, so there was that. And then Edgar Wright kind of helped write the script, mm. which is weird. But it's a, it's a really good movie. Andy Serkis is really good in it. Um, Jamie Bell's really good in it. There's just, there's this one take action sequence that is, I think, perfect filmmaking. Um, you know, I think, I think Steven Spielberg approached it of like, oh, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. 
let me just play. Like, it just feels like he's on a playground. Yeah. I've seen a couple of shots in that movie where it was just like this kind of one track shot. He's yeah. going all the way through. He's flying around, going through like zip lines or yeah. something like that. And you could tell that Spielberg, because he understands the workings of a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows how to go and makes things flow. But now he doesn't have the physical limitations of, oh, this camera's going to go and get caught in between yeah. something or whatever. And he just went crazy with it. Exactly. And it's brilliant. Yeah. It's so good. It made me wish he did more animated movies, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Well, actually, if we could, that's actually one element that I forgot to go and mention, which is that we've talked about the heartfelt sincerity of a Spielberg uh-huh. movie. But then just the way he moves a camera. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Um, I can't think of a guy who goes and moves a camera with more purpose than Spielberg. It's ridiculous. And, like, unnoticeable. Yeah. I never... Like, it's on such a subtle, almost subconscious level that he does that. Yeah. That it's such an afterthought. Like, I will hardly notice the camera work in a Spielberg movie until, like, the third or fourth time I see it. Right. It's so good. Like, he just sucks you in with heart and then makes you feel those feelings Mm. and then... The, the like the actual production and movie making aspect of it comes second yeah which is different than for example the Roger Deakins example that I right. you know, were talking about you know he did Skyfall that movie goes and calls attention to all of its nice shots like every second yes. of the film yes and it looks good like technically it is well done right but then at the same time it takes you out of it because you're like oh that's a really nice shot yeah yeah, or like someone like Scorsese, he wants you to be so aware you're watching a movie the mm-hmm. whole time you're watching one of his movies. He uses it, I think, better than a lot of people do, um, because I think he also understands cinema probably only second to Steven Spielberg. Um, and so he, you know, it's two different schools of filmmaking, and there's not necessarily a wrong answer, mm-hmm. but that's just the strengths of those directors. Like Spielberg is good at drawing you in with your heart and making you feel those things mm-hmm. and then making you notice how well he put that movie together later. Yeah. And then Scorsese's like, no, look at how good I did here. Yeah. Production value. Yeah. Everything is so well made. Yeah. Like every, it's just like everything but the kitchen sink is, is as far as expressionism is concerned. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's like, but also I'm telling an interesting story about, you know, he explores a lot of the same things, which is a big criticism he gets, Yeah, but he's good at it. So I, yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And I think both of those styles are completely valid ways of making a movie. Yeah, they as long as you're good suited. at them. Yeah, you know, exactly. like if Steven Spielberg tried to make a Scorsese movie, it would be awful. If Scorsese tried to make a Steven Spielberg movie, it would be awful. Right. But they both they make them work for themselves because those are how they approach life. Yeah, kind of. I mean, this is a, that's the kind of the problem I think when it comes to people trying to emulate both of their styles is that mm-hmm. they're not suited to other people. It's exactly their unique talent. Yeah. In doing that kind of filmmaking. And there are so many bad Scorsese and Spielberg ripoffs. Yes, you know, and the same thing with Tarantino spinoffs as well. Yeah. uh, It's just, your own directorial style is yourself, and it's very hard to go and replicate it. And then sometimes they're coming from very cynical places and trying to appropriate those styles. I feel like sometimes J.J. Abrams, for example, is one of those people who tries to go and have a Spielberg sensibility about his films, but then he misses the point. Yeah. It feels like he is cynically appropriating Spielberg's style without understanding the motivations and themes that drive that style sometimes. Avatar? Yeah. <laughs> Avatar is another example, too. Yeah. Um, Wait, who did you say? Oh, I was talking about J.J. Abrams. Oh, I thought you said James Cameron. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I feel like... I kind of feel like Super 8 didn't have the cynicism that you're talking about. There's a couple like really heartfelt moments in Super 8. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have. Actually, that's kind of the case in point I was going to bring Oh, really? Out. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I feel like that scene between um, the main kid and... Dakota Fanning? And uh, Elle Fanning. Yo. Right. Is really good when they're, they're projecting the home movie onto the screen. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's like a big pile of Spielberg. Oh, where yeah. Where it's got both of them in the shot and you see one of them talking and the other one reacting to the words. Like, that's super effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think J.J. Abrams' problem is that he doesn't have his own style. Um, <laughs> that's kind of true. So I, th- I think that's the problem with it. But I think I, I would argue that he's actually pretty good at aping someone else's style and adapting that. I would argue that better he's than, good. Better than most people. Yes, I agree with that. I think he's good at aping styles. I think he's good at doing that. When you go and see an individual scene outside of the context of a film, his elements are correct. Like that scene, for example, is very effective. But then that feeling doesn't go and translate to the next scene because the next mm. scene is so jarring tonally. For example, Super 8 
by mixing the E.T. Goonies Jaws aspect to it, uh-huh. it doesn't know. Yeah, Close Encounters. It doesn't know which element goes where and why those were all separate elements and shouldn't be blended together. Fair enough. And um, the kid aspect of that film is actually really well done. Yes. I agree. But then it goes and conflicts directly with the other elements. And that goes and shows like a larger misunderstanding of the tone of the piece. Okay. So that's what I say. Fair enough. Okay, so that's Spielberg. Um, there's someone else at play in in particularly the new movie we're watching. And that's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Exactly. Exactly. Um, can you think of a bad Tom Hanks performance? No. <laughs> no, actually. I, like, he's just the, the most consistent actor yeah. working today. Like, you know what you're going to get out of him and he does it well. Like, he's the Spielberg of acting, essentially. Like, yeah. you know, if you expect Tom Hanks to do something other than being Tom Hanks, then you're wrong. Yeah, Tom Hanks, I think, is kind of the perfect avatar or uh, <laughs> on-screen what, representation. representation of Spielberg yeah. almost. Because both of them, you you know that they feel something about what they're doing. They go and put their heart into it and it shows. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have a favorite Tom Hanks performance? I'd probably Saving Private Ryan. Oh man, that movie's incredible. Yeah. Gosh. And that's the thing is when you get these two guys together, it's just magic. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later with, with Bridge of Spies, but I mean, it... it Gosh, it's just so, cause it's, it's, from behind the camera, you get clear intentions. From in front of the camera, you get clear intentions. Yes. And they're and where, in sync with each yeah, other. Yeah. And where they meet is the audience. Yeah. You know, in your exactly. experience. Exactly. Um, oh man, he's so good in that movie. Um, did you see Captain Phillips? No, not yet, actually. I wasn't super into that movie until mm-hmm. the end when he's in shock. Okay. I don't know if you've seen the last scene in that movie. No. It wrecked me. It was Like, was super it during the epic. aftermath of what happened? They save him and they bring him on the boat and he's just in shock. Uh-huh. And it's the greatest representation of shock I've ever seen an actor give. And I was just like, freaking Tom Hanks, man! Like... Just so solid every time. Well, you might you know? have just sold me on watching that movie now. <laughs> it's it's worth it for just that one scene. But I feel like you have to go... Like, I could pull it up on YouTube and show yeah. you, but I feel like the true impact of that movie is that last scene after everything he's been through. Yeah, you kind of have to go through it. Yeah, and so, like... Because while he's going through it, you kind of feel disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. And then it all... It hits him like a ton of bricks as soon as he's after... Like, out of it. Yeah. And that, like... That's kind of how I felt as a viewer. We're, like, watching it, I was like... They're not doing a very good job making this super intense the way they should, especially because, like, Greengrass directed it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, at the end is when it all comes crashing down on on Phillips, and it's just like, damn. And they leave it there. That's where credits start rolling, which is nuts. Like, there's not a happy button at the end <laughs> yeah. of the movie. Like, he gets off the boat and was like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not that. It's just like... Uh, we're in such shock that we have to cut your shirt open to monitor your heart rate. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, he's, like, he's just so, it's just so much emotion at once that he, he doesn't know, like, whether to laugh or cry, mm-hmm. and he, like, he's just on this, like, trembling line. Yeah. Of laughing or crying, and you don't know which it would be, and he never really fully commits to either one, and so it's just like, whoa. That's impressive. It's, yeah, I mean, and freaking Tom Hanks, I think, is the only person that could uh, that could do that. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I don't know if there's a... Oh, you know what? I don't really like the Robert Langdon movies that much. Oh, yeah. I guess if you're going to go and count those, and sure, those aren't pretty good movies. <laughs> I, I don't think he's very good in them. Um, no. I, I... When I was in high school, a very guilty pleasure of mine was Dan Brown novels. Um, because I think he tells a good yarn. I don't think he's a good writer, but mm-hmm. I think he tells a fun, like, fast-paced story that you can kind of kill a day with. That's fair. Um, and in my brain, I always pictured Liam Neeson being Robert Langdon. Yeah, that'd and, be a better fit from what I know of him. Yeah, and so when they kind of announced, oh, Ron Howard's directing these movies and it's going to be Tom Hanks, I was like, he doesn't fit that role at all. But once again, I don't know if he's necessarily bad. I just think he might be a bad fit for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think, I yeah, I don't really think he's capable of giving a bad performance. No, but those movies just aren't good in general. Yeah, and, exactly. And I kind of feel like he was just in them for a paycheck. It's one of the few movies where I feel like Tom Hanks was just kind of in for like, okay, 
Yeah. I feel like he may have liked doing the first one, but not mm, enough to do the sequel. Sick. The sequel feels like a paycheck movie from Tom yeah. Um Even though I like that movie better than I like Da Vinci Code. Okay. Um, I do I not, did not watch. I did not watch Angels and Demons. I only saw Da Vinci Code. I'm in the minority. I prefer it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and voice work, like, you know, Woody is such a great animated, like, such an yeah. iconic animated character, and... He's like you can't picture anyone else no, being he's, Woody. He's so iconic in that role. He's so expressive as a voice actor. In that yeah, role. yeah. He's oh man, I love Tom Hanks. I really like him in oh I just saw the movie. I really like him in Catch Me If You Can. I think that's probably my favorite Tom Hanks performance. I need to watch that movie. It, I think you would like it actually. I admittedly missed like a good string of spielberg movies in like the mid-2000s until like recently okay uh i need to go and catch up and watch that movie really badly it's i think i think you would like it a lot um it's super good all the way around it's just a great caper movie Mm -hmm. and tom hanks is so good in it um leonardo dicaprio yeah he's great in it uh christopher walken plays leonardo dicaprio's dad in that movie okay he's awesome in it um it's just super well acted um because Spielberg knows how to draw out great performances almost 100% of the time, you know? Yeah. Um, what do you think about Spielberg's, um, like, more recent movies in general? Because I know there's, like, kind of a golden age. I wanted age. to talk about that, too. Yeah. I think I think he's more hit or miss than he ever has been. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that Film Crit Hulk brought up in his article is, like, there's this sort of 21st century cynicism mm-hmm. that Spielberg doesn't know what to do with. Hmm, yeah. And maybe it wasn't film crit hulk maybe it was someone else on that site because they did like a whole spielberg month on that on uh-huh. birthmoviesdeath.com yeah and so it just like it kind of feels like he's just trying to process a post 9-11 world yeah world of worlds is very much inspired by a post 9-11 world in terms of the dread the the sense of we don't know what's happening who's attacking us why things are going mm-hmm. on um that movie I also think is kind of a misfire by Spielberg. I kind of hate that movie. Yeah, I kind of dislike that I've movie been hearing a lot. a lot of praise for it recently online, yeah. and I don't understand that at all. I think it goes in a, like, uh, has a sense of um, just confusion about the 9-11 attacks themselves and transports that to an alien attack that is actually very effective, but it kind of just goes off the rails after a certain point. Yeah, I remember not being super into that movie at all. Yeah, and then it also has um, a problem in terms of the ending, where that is one of the few Spielberg movies where the ending is very schmaltzy and very unearned, actually. So I heard a recent analysis of that movie Mm -hmm. that said that that's not a schmaltzy ending because he's not allowed in the house still. And so it's just like these events have changed Tom Cruise's character to the point where he's not even... Like a member of the family yeah. that he's been trying to get to. Yeah. Hmm. That must, that's a fair interpretation. That could be interesting. And the argument that I heard for that was, um, you know the movie The Searchers? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how that movie ends, too, with John Wayne's character um, being like kind of racist towards Native American people. Mm-hmm. That movie ends with him, like, obviously, the the that movie has... Uh, the overall message of like the world is changing and men like John Wayne's character in that don't really have a place in that world anymore. Yeah. Um, And it ends on, he's not allowed in the house at the end of the movie. And that's what I, that's how the, the comparison was drawn. It was a podcast I was listening to specifically about the searchers, Hmm. Um, which makes sense because Spielberg's favorite director or one of his favorite directors is John Ford. Ford. That makes sense. Um, which makes me want to go back and watch War Horse, because mm-hmm. I do not like that Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly boring. Yeah. But then I heard that he was that was his version of a John Ford movie, and I was like, oh, then he probably did a pretty good job then. I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> so I'd like to go back and watch that with the lens of this is Spielberg's tribute to John Ford. Because yeah. I think it actually probably is a pretty good John Ford-style movie. Yeah. So that's I that's kind of why I want to watch War of the Worlds again because yeah. of that like I heard that new perspective on the ending and I was like oh interesting. I don't feel like the movie itself goes and supports that yeah. too much. I think that maybe if you look really hard into it, yeah, you can maybe see that, but I don't feel like you go and get the sense that that is supported by the text of the film itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but looking over his post 9-11 um, filmography, there's way more movies I like here than... Not like? Than not like. Like Minority Report is a movie I really like. That movie's just decent to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've only seen it once, but I remember really liking it. It's mm-hmm. not like the greatest Spielberg movie, but yeah. it's pretty entertaining. And like, I don't know. I think he did a good job with it. Um, Catch Me If You Can, uh, I just said is like my favorite Tom Hanks performance. The mm-hmm. Terminal is, I think, the most underrated uh, Spielberg Tom Hanks movie. Munich is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, War of the Worlds and Crystal Skull both came out, but whatever. War yeah. Horse, I think I might need to see again. Adventures of Ten Ten, I loved. I loved Lincoln. I uh-huh. thought that movie was super well put together yeah. and well acted. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think this era of Spielberg is. Actually, I don't want to say it's underrated. I think it might be underappreciated. I think yeah. people don't necessarily understand it. That's true. I think he's matured as a director. You can see mm-hmm. that he is not the same person he was in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. No, that isn't. It's just, it's a different thing. And it's a mm-hmm. taste thing that goes yeah. on with it. I remember watching, um, you gave me a copy of Drive, which you went and talked Duel. about. Duel. My bad. Uh, talking with Corey about it. Yes. And I went and watched the special features to it after watching it. And Spielberg said like, I couldn't make a movie like I made Duel now. Like, yeah. my sensibilities have all changed. The way I look at the world has changed. And I can see that in his films. He's not yeah. interested in that kind of, you know, thriller, blockbuster kind of film anymore. Right. And that being said, I, I don't know if this is in the special features, but he said that, like, when he looks at that movie, he sees a very arrogant young filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I do, too. Like, I got that vibe before I even read that quote. Like, that movie's pretty good yeah, um, yeah especially for a made for tv movie yeah it was really good um, it had any right to be actually way better than it should have been way better than it should have <laughs> been and but you can tell it's a very like kind of like f you mm-hmm. uh attitude about it like you yeah. say like you know the all the all the ish i learned in film school i'm going to kind of throw that out the window here okay well maybe i'll uh do that in this shot like it's it's this very i said it on the podcast this is very like he's kind of at odds with himself of like i'm gonna try this thing that they tell me not to do and see how that looks versus and like very traditional film school yeah type shot composition um which works like i think that what's that's what lends to the tension is like it's very eclectic mm-hmm. and so it, it builds that up um, now that we've started talking about that era of Spielberg, I think that's a perfect lead-in to the first movie we're going to see. Yeah. And the first movie is, uh, it's called The Sugarland Express, and it is um, a film from 1974, and it stars Goldie Hawn, of all people. And the, the IMDb synopsis says, A woman attempts to reunite her family by helping her husband escape prison and together kidnapping their son, but things don't go as planned when they are forced to take a police hostage on the road. What? <laughs> I have nothing to say about that. So this is based on a true story. Okay. Um, and also, it's the movie that Goldie Hawn had won. She she was coming off an Oscar win. For what? I don't um, remember. I don't remember what movie. Um, so she had just um, won the Oscar for a movie called Cactus Flower, um, which she had, she won that in 1969 and hadn't made a movie after that. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's a five-year break after an Oscar win. Yeah. Which uh, nowadays you see a five-year break after an Oscar win and people are making Snow Dogs, Cuba. (laughs) Um, Oh, Cuba. (laughs) What happened to that guy? But so... For some, this she said this is the movie that got her excited about making movies again. Um, it's a script by uh, Hal Barwood, Matthew Robbins, and uh, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Um, they also wrote nothing that I've heard of. Oh, they were <laughs> uh, they were uncredited on Close Encounters. Huh. Okay. Um, so they may have done a punch-up job on that, but they haven't. They don't have a big filmography. Hmm. Um, it's a ninety-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, I'm kind of surprised by that. Actually, yeah, me too. Um, he he made this movie for the producers uh, Zanuck and Brown, and they liked it so much they said, "Hey, you should come work on this shark movie we're making," which was Jaws obviously so this is the gateway movie to jaws this is the movie spielberg makes that leads him to jaws and so i think just in that aspect it's a it's a very important piece of spielberg history yeah um you know we we kind of see where he came from 
uh, between Duel and this. He made a he made a in between Duel and Sugarland Express. He made a movie called uh, Something Evil, mm-hmm. which is a straight up like Exorcist demon possession movie that was also made for TV. Huh. I wanted to watch that because that sounds nuts. Yeah, coming from Spielberg, I feel like that'd be very intense. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it would be really scary, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because I don't, I can't think of another like Spielberg horror movie. I guess you could classify Jaws, but I would consider that more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. You know, he he does very good horror style of things, but I don't yeah. think he's ever made a straight straight up horror, horror genre movie. Flick. Yeah. So he he did that movie and then he did Sugarland Express and Sugarland Express is the first movie that went to theaters on purpose. Duel was made for TV and ended up in theaters in Italy. Yeah. But Sugarland Express was kind of made to be in theaters. Hmm. So headed into this, what are you thinking about it? I actually have zero expectations of it. I feel like maybe my only expectation is that maybe this isn't as good or hasn't aged as well as the Rotten Tomatoes score suggests this because I don't hear about it that much from anybody. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know it existed. I remember hearing the name vaguely before. Never knew Spielberg was involved in it. How about you? I thought this was a musical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea what to expect. I was almost expecting, like, the Pineapple Express or something (laughs) when I first heard about it. I was like, wait, what? Oh, never mind, different movie. (laughs) Yeah, and going into, like, when I looked it up, I was like, wait, I thought this was like a a Hello Dolly, My Fair Lady, like, Mary Poppins-style musical. (laughs) And that is decidedly not. No, not at all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, uh, I don't have any opinions, really, on it i'm excited to watch it because it's a spielberg movie i've never seen yeah and so i'm I, i'm honestly not expecting it to be bad no because, i'm not supposed to be bad that's for sure um i'm not i'm not sure if i'll like it as much as duel mm-hmm. um because i really really liked that movie a lot yeah um i don't have any expectations for goldie hahn because i don't know if i've ever seen her in anything i've seen her in like one or two things but it's been a while yeah so i don't i i don't know that uh i really am on your i think i'm really on your page like yeah. i don't know what to expect it sounds kind of like a random hodgepodge of stuff mm-hmm. which should be a train wreck yeah but i feel like there are a lot of spielberg movies that on paper sound like they should be a train wreck that's true i think that he can handle different kind of tones and styles very effectively yeah he's a very deft filmmaker yeah um so it i mean honestly i don't know if you've seen a movie called breakdown with kurt russell Mm-mm. um super good that's yeah. a super good movie but that's the vibe i get sort of like middle of nowhere uh open plains mm-hmm. kind of noir mystery movie you're getting me kind of excited <laughs> yeah i know i know um it, it seems like this is a very like deserty setting mm-hmm. and i think that lends itself well to the plot yeah um it sounds it sounds almost like a played for serious raising arizona mm-hmm. um which i think can be really interesting so i i'm extremely interested to see what we have to say about this film next week yeah me too so I think that's kind of all we can say on Sugarland Express. Yeah, because I know like, basically nothing about it. Yeah, um, which is exciting, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't even seen. I haven't seen a trailer. Like yeah. I nothing. Um, so that the lead into that now is it's 2015. Mm-hmm. We are 41 years removed from the Sugarland Express, <laughs> and Spielberg is getting ready to release a new film called Bridge of Spies. Yes, Bridge of Spies stars Tom Hanks. And it is a Cold War thriller mm-hmm. uh, about an American lawyer who is recruited by the CIA to help rescue a pilot detained in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you know about the events themselves. Not much more beyond that uh, description. Yeah. Basically, there is a U-2 uh, surveillance craft that was shot down in the Soviet Union. And then he was um, in the Soviet Union. And we also had captured one of the Soviet spies in America who have been supplying um, documents or something like that. And Tom Hanks' character, who's a... An insurance lawyer. An insurance lawyer goes and gets recruited to go and negotiate the exchange between those two in Berlin. That's not much more than that, though. Yeah. Um, Yeah, this movie sounds squarely in this era of uh, Spielberg's career. Yeah. Territory. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's definitely the more mature Spielberg that we've gotten used to the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I'm excited for this one too, because it's a Spielberg movie. Like yeah. there's, there's a base level of excitement when a Spielberg movie comes out. For mm-hmm. And so I like, I don't know if you've read any of the early reviews. Uh, no, but I remember you telling me about some of them. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I've, I, I'm a, a bad film critic, I guess, and read reviews before I see movies, which may or may not. I've, I like to think that they don't color my, uh, ultimate takeaway from the film, but I'm, I'm probably lying. Most of the reviews I've been reading are like, well, we've come to expect better from both of these men. Mm-hmm. Eight out of ten. <laughs> it's at an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Even the mediocre Spielberg is yeah. still better than most films. Yeah, like, what? Are these guys just so good that even them not trying is still better than everything else? Is that what you're trying to say? Because yeah. that's what it sounds like. It's pretty telling, actually. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think based on the, the reviews we've been reading, mm-hmm. or I've been reading at least, I think this fits in what we just talked about where people don't understand post 9-11 Spielberg. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's mature Spielberg mm-hmm. and people translate that to boring Spielberg. Yeah. I can see that, especially. I think that post 9-11 Spielberg is trying to figure out his identity. Yeah. And you can see that in the characters. I think he chose, he uses movies who have characters who are trying to figure out what their identity is as Lincoln. well. Lincoln. Uh, catch me if you can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's people trying to figure out their place in this 9-11 world. And even though we're dealing with a subject of the Cold War in this movie, it deals with people who are criticizing Tom Hanks' character for going and releasing and exchanging a Soviet spy in exchange for an American prisoner. Right. And so Didn't we just have a similar situation happen yeah, within the yeah. last few years? Bergdahl. Bergdahl. Yeah, yeah, last year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a very intentional choice by Spielberg to do this movie. It doesn't sound unplanned. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like he's processing this. Yeah. I think every movie he makes is him processing something. Yes. Um, and what I appreciate about that is he doesn't force his his opinion that he comes down on yeah. either way on you. Like, I never feel like a Spielberg movie's pushing an agenda. I feel like it has a point of view. I feel like it has an opinion. Mm-hmm. But I feel like at the end of the day, Spielberg is like, this is for me, not you. Yeah, like, this doesn't apply to your thoughts or how you've been viewing the world. I was just was putting this out there for you to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, that's, that's, that's talent right there, I feel like. Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily think his movies are even-handed. Mm-hmm. But I think that they... They're just like, eh, that's, you know, or whatever, is is yeah. kind of how he feels of, of the overall message of his movies. Yeah, they could certainly be a lot more heavy-handed. Yeah. Given his political leanings, mm-hmm. he could be a lot more heavy-handed than he is. Yes. And that's admirable to go and show that kind of restraint and respect toward the audience to saying, this is not the way the world is. This is just the way the world is, according to my view, and you can take it or leave it. Yeah. Watch it. Enjoy it. I'm just throwing... Like, every yeah. movie he makes should just be called I'm Just Throwing This Out There. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think we're going to get that in this movie. You know? Um, I don't think he's changed in that aspect. No. Um, and I think... I think there's kind of inherent tension there, you know? Watching this uh, mild-mannered insurance lawyer have to go and negotiate a hostage situation Mm -hmm. sounds inherently tense. Yeah. And I'm super looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds ripe for Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of people, a lot of the reviews I read were like, it's a very quiet movie. And it's like, yeah, because it's all head games, man. Like, you got to get into that. You know, where anyone, any other director would spell that out for you like that. But mm-hmm. Spielberg's going to credit you with the intelligence that you're a mature enough viewer mm-hmm. to go into this movie and watch these people exchange tense and nervous eye contact yeah. and have the, the tension ex, uh, take place all in these guys' brains. And then he trusts his actors enough to put that enough on the outside and to... And emote it to where the audience picks up on it, but you don't feel like they're telling each other what's going on in their head. You, basically, you just described the antithesis of a Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. I have, Themes! <laughs> I have just stated my entire character's motivation right now. <laughs> that was my entire arc, actually. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. 
Which is also sometimes a valid way of doing films. I still like Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah. I, but, I mean, that was in but one his, of my favorite movies of the last decade. Yes, you know? it's one of my favorite movies ever. However, yeah. he goes and spoon-feeds people and treats them like idiots sometimes. Yes, whereas Spielberg spoon-feeds people. It's like Robert Del Toro said, when he fe- spoon-feeds you, it's ice cream. Yeah. When other people do it, it's medicine. <laughs> Well said. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things that's ever been said on the podcast. Yeah. I was like, I'm stealing that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that this is going to be a misunderstood Spielberg movie. Yeah. Um, so what what are you expecting about it? Most of the same thing. I'm going to just be interested to go and watch Spielberg kind of work out issues of identity, patriotism, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. loyalty. What does that mean? What does that entail? And then, you know, solely from a personal standpoint... I'm a lawyer, so I'm yeah. really interested just to see like that whole aspect of, of how his character plays out, and mm-hmm. um, you know how that inter- interacts with the Constitution. You know, I'm a big political junkie as well, right. and so that goes right up my alley. Actually, yeah. I'm, like, I'm excited just to go and see that and see the historical context behind this incident. Because I mean, I know a decent amount about the Cold War, but I don't know too much about this particular incident. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Um, as far as Tom Hanks is concerned, a lot of the things are like. Well, he's just playing another, you know, super nice family, mild-mannered guy. And it's like, yeah, that's what I want Tom Hanks to do. That sounds awesome. Yeah, actually, that's something that's interesting to me because it's like... There's some actors who I think are very good character actors, or chameleons, mm-hmm. like Daniel Day-Lewis can go and become like anybody or right. anything. He could play a woman, and I don't think anybody would mind. <laughs> right. Um, but Tom Hanks... Will Smith to a lesser extent. But, <laughs> but like, there's like that type of actor who kind of just plays himself, but yeah. he's really damn good at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, every, like all the reviews are like, oh, he doesn't do anything different. And it's like, I don't need Tom Hanks to do anything different. I need yeah. Tom Hanks to do exactly what he's been doing for 40 years in the business, mm. and that's being nice, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. he, he does these, like, these sort of white hat characters mm-hmm. better than any actor in his generation. Yeah, he's instantly empathetic. Why would you make him someone who's not empathetic? Yeah, though? I could never see him being the villain in anything. You yeah, know? that'd be a very strange movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like Tom Hanks as Thanos, you know? <laughs> oh, that, I kind of want that to happen. <laughs> you know, I think I think um, one of my favorite cameos in film history is his cameo in uh, the Simpsons movie. Yeah, <laughs> when he he's in the announcement for the new Grand Canyon, which is what the government is going to make Springfield. They're going to blow up Springfield, and his first line is it in it is the United States government has run out of credibility, so they're borrowing some of mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like if the government got Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks could sell it anyone anything mm-hmm. because he's so sincere and so likable. Yeah, so um, don't cover that up. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's why you go and choose actors because they have a particular set of skills. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm excited to watch Tom Hanks in this movie. I don't know. I, I'm fine with it being still a Tom Hanks role. Like if it was anything different, it would be weird. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that people are, I think it's just 21st century cynicism coloring in these reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the type of film criticism that's occurring right now, there's lots of the good valid ways of looking at films but there's also this glean of cynicism over some things that i am kind of personally sick of yeah yeah and i think part of i think part of that is people are unwilling to meet a movie halfway nowadays mm-hmm. and i don't understand that it's bad viewership it's yeah. bad criticism mm-hmm. um and it's lazy. Yeah. It's not willing to put in any work yeah. for something that you're paying to be an audience member in. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to put in work. Like, you have a job as an audience member. Yeah. You know, it sounds antithetical to pay to go do work, but if you're an audience member, you need to do the work to accept that movie on its own terms. Right. Sometimes its own terms suck. I'm not saying that bad movies don't exist. Yeah. What I'm saying is you need to put it in the work to make sure you know why it's bad. Yeah, there's a certain... Um criticism nowadays that's going on in films where it's just kind of like it doesn't meet my expectations of what this film was about which is what I think you're getting at and because of that I'm going to damn this movie and that's not the way it should be like you have to go and accept what the intent of that movie was rather than your own hype or expectations of it towards were yeah I agree Um, which is why you know a movie like the Dark Knight Rises, which mm-hmm. I do not like, yeah. um, is sitting behind me right now. Um, <laughs> I've seen it one time. Yeah, uh, it was only in theaters. Uh, 
this Blu-ray I've had for a couple weeks. Uh, part of it is I don't have a television in my new apartment. Mm-hmm. But I've been wanting to watch it since I bought this trilogy on Blu-ray a couple weeks ago. Because I feel like I might need to... Like, it didn't meet my expectations when I saw it. Yeah. I might need to go meet it halfway. If on the second time it's the same way, maybe it's bad. Mm-hmm. But it's a movie I need to give a second chance to. Yeah. That was one of those movies I felt like I got burned on because it didn't meet my expectations. And then I stripped that away and I liked it for what it was, which is not a masterpiece. It's not The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. The Dark Knight is amazing. And for a long time, I had like a hard time rationalizing, how could this movie be made? Like, or come from the same director who made this. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Once I went and got away from that, it's a good movie. Like, it's messy. It's really messy. Yeah. But it was good. Yeah. Um, a, another movie that's sitting right underneath uh, Dark Knight is Watchmen. And I felt like that. I read the comic right mm-hmm. before... The movie came out, and I loved the comic, uh, even though it was pretty nihilistic and, like, put me in a weird mood. Yeah. I thought it was well done, you know. Once again, trying to meet the art halfway. Like, not necessarily my taste, because it hated people. <laughs> but it was, it was you know, it, that doesn't mean that the art is bad. Yeah. You know, it, that doesn't mean it wasn't a good work. That just means it didn't line up with sensibilities I like. Well, what did you read the comic beforehand as well, or did you have any exposure to that? I'm just wondering. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I read okay. the comic the week before I saw the movie. Gotcha, okay. And so the comic is very nihilistic. Yeah, um, okay. And so I went to see the movie, and I had these expectations for the movie that were completely out of proportion um, because of how the just the scope of the comic is mm-hmm. gigantic, and a movie can't fill that scope no. by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So I saw it and I was like, I don't really like this. There are some things he should have left in that he cut out. And then I went to see it again, just kind of on a whim, like friends were going to go see it. And I went to see it because I wanted to see my friends. And I enjoyed it way more the second time because I was able to accept the movie on its terms as a movie. Yeah. I do think there's one part in the theatrical cut that should have been left in. It's in the director's cut. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's only that one part that I feel like doesn't make the theatrical cut really work. Um, what's sitting behind me is the director's cut and it has that part in it. So therefore it works for me. You know, um, it's a movie that I had to accept on its terms of being a movie. Yeah. And I think you, you, that's what you have to do as a, as a viewer nowadays. And people are unwilling to do that. And it's troublesome. My hope is that people will start watching movies and meet it halfway. Um, I think the Martian is doing a lot right now Mm -hmm. for people to, to do that. I think I think it, it spoon feeds you, um, but it's not bad. It's it actually spoon feeds you very nicely, and I think that kind of helps the audience come in a little bit. You know, as much as I don't necessarily like that, I also understand that I'm not the average moviegoer. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're seeing with with The Martian being in theaters right now is you see a lot of hardcore film nerds that are loving it and you're seeing a lot of general average everyday moviegoers that are loving it mm-hmm. and so i think it's appealing to both those those sensibilities because it spoon feeds you but also it's very smart and so i think we need more movies like that also it's just higher quality than a lot of stuff we've seen lately i think we need more movies like that that can meet both sections equally by spoon feeding you but being smart about it and I think I th- I'm hoping we're on an uptick. It seems like it. I feel like I've I've had that experience in more movies this year than I have in probably at least a half decade. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hopeful for it. Uh, maybe I'm still on a high from The Martian and the fact that a new Spielberg is coming out, and I'm pretty sure it's going to do the same thing. <laughs> um, I I just think that 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 we need to start watching movies smarter as film nerds and as average moviegoers. I agree with that. Well, and that's advice that I will apply also to Spectre, which comes out, because that's a movie I have... Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> a very preconceived bias against right now. I also do. I, I so, admit, it is the same. We yeah. have talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is hard to do that um, and go in, you know, wanting to meet that movie on its own merits, because, you know, it's going to be hard for me to... I'm hoping that I enjoy it. That's not mm-hmm. to say, like, I'm thinking I'm going to hate it. Yeah. But I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy it. Yes. And that's that's kind of how you need to approach every movie. I feel like you need to have your pre you can have your preconceived notion, but you mm-hmm. also need to be hopeful. Yeah. In it. Yeah. Um well, there's definitely a segment of people who just want to go and hate watch something nowadays. This is a concept that I fundamentally disagree with. Um I just don't like that idea. Um I really do want to try and enjoy a movie on its own terms. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of that 
loops back around yeah. into Spielberg, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know necessarily his influences, mm-hmm. um, but he's a man that, you know, he, he understands people, he understands filmmaking, and he just, like, he, he can reconcile the two better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh man, he's just so much better than everyone else at making movies, you right. know? Which is why... I think the critics are going to be wrong about this movie because I just think he understands how people work and how to get them to tick right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think Spielberg doing the same old same old is great. I mm-hmm. think Tom Hanks doing the same old same old is great. Like, bring it on! I'm down for that. That's yep. what I want out of this movie. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's it's going to be better than I'm reading. Although, once again, I'm reading and then it's still got an 88. percent So. <laughs> There's something, I feel like there's, that's very telling, you know, like you said, like the people are registering that it's better than they're saying it is, mm-hmm. I think in they, their ultimate score. Yeah, they know it. Yeah, they obviously know it. Um, you know, and it's not, I think it's weird because he's got so many good movies. Like, I don't think this is going to be Saving Private Ryan good, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Yeah. Like, um, he's still, it's still probably really good. Yeah, most a movie doesn't have to go and change the movie industry for it to be a good film. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a separate rant. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back next week to talk about what we thought about Bridge of Spies and the Sugarland Express. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting on both counts to see to see what we have to say about that. Um, yeah, I'm excited. You can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Before and After Pod. That's at Before the letter N After Pod. Uh, email the show before and after show at gmail.com let us know what your favorite spielberg movie is subscribe on itunes uh comment on soundcloud subscribe on soundcloud there are plenty of ways to where you can get the movie so do that uh or the show not the movie the show we hope to see you october 21st at centertain's the time is now event um come say hi we'll put you on the air we'll talk to you tell us what back to the future means to you And uh, go hang out with the DeLorean because there's going to be a DeLorean there. That's awesome. Until next week, go watch something Spielberg made. Do you have a recommendation? All of them. All of them? Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>